Welcome to Cover to Cover, a podcast featuring musical conversations about an album or song which has changed and enhanced someone's life. I am your host, songwriter Matt Tarka. We humans connect with the presence of music in our own unique way. As an artist, a concert goer, through our headphones, or as something that simply lives in our everyday background. Our guest today comes to us from Collingswood, New Jersey. He is one Andy Canadian of the band Canadian Invasion, and he is also a school teacher. What is Andy currently working on creatively, or what is inspiring him at the moment? Well, he's working on a new record to be performed live at an annual charity concert called Canadian Invasion Day. So please be on the lookout for any developments for Canadian Invasion Day. In terms of uh, Andy's favorite sport or activity, that would be baseball. He actually wrote a song about the Philadelphia Phillies. Uh, You can likely find that on YouTube, perhaps Spotify. Maybe we'll uh, ask Andy that question in just a second. In terms of a favorite TV show to watch, Andy is a great appreciator of Twin Peaks. I also love Twin Peaks, too. Fantastic show. Any pet peeves? None to speak of. For our conversation today, Andy has chosen the band Blur in their fourth full-length record from 1995, known as The Great Escape. The Great Escape was produced by Stephen Street. John Smith was the engineer. The Great Escape was recorded at Maison Rouge Studios and Townhouse Studios in London and was released on Food Records, which is a subsidiary of Virgin Records. Are there any interesting guest performers on the album? Well, you'll be pleased to note that uh, Ken Livingstone uh, provided some narration on a track called Arnold Same. Livingston went on to become the mayor of London. This was a follow-up to the breakout commercial album known as Park Life from 1994. It's considered the final part of an unofficial trilogy. Modern Life is Rubbish, Park Life, slash The Great Escape. Of the band's attempt to make a quintessentially Brit pop rock album. So without further ado, let's get to know Andy Canadian of Canadian Invasion. Andy, it's uh, such a pleasure to have you on the program. Thanks so much for taking the time. Thanks for having me on, Matt. It's a pleasure to be here. Excellent. All right. Well, let's uh, let's get started here. Let's talk about Blur and The Great Escape. What um, where did it all where did it all begin for you? What uh, what made you choose this particular song? Or record. You know, this was a tough choice. I knew I wanted to pick something by Blur, um, <clears throat> but I didn't know which record to pick. Um, but this record, it's not even necessarily my favorite one of the records, but I had one of those sort of like epiphanal moments with this record. So I picked it for that. I remember distinctly, um, you know, this in the 90s, there was this big Blur versus Oasis thing. Um, and I was very much on the Oasis side of the fence. Um, and my sister was very much into Blur and she had this record lying around um, and I put it in my, I had one of those little CD Walkman kind of things and I put it in there because I was looking for something to listen to. And um, I was like, I just can't believe how like chock full of like pop goodness this record is. Like it, it felt to me like in some ways the most Beatles-esque album I'd heard. And that's coming from somebody who was like totally on the Oasis bandwagon. And, you know, they were a group that claimed they were the next coming of the Beatles, but I felt like Blur had captured something about just the sort of like uh, variety of sounds and variety of songwriting approaches that like I just hadn't heard it since I had first listened to the Beatles. So I was pretty fired up about them after that. So this record 
was really significant to me because it got me going on on Blur as a as a band. It was pretty special. Awesome. Uh, can you tell our listeners who the vocalist and lead singer is for the group and some of the additional musicians and players that are featured on the sure. record? Sure. Well, so you know, Blur is one of those groups like uh, a decent number of people know them. Um, but actually probably a lot more people are familiar with uh, those musicians and maybe don't realize it. So Damon Albarn, the singer and primary songwriter, uh, you know, he's gone on after Blur to do a ton of different stuff. But the, the big thing people know him for is uh, his Gorillaz project. And he's had a ton of hit records with Gorillaz and, and you know, he's kind of all over the place. Um, and then uh, their guitar player, Graham Coxon, I would say that like, if you pick the best guitar players of the nineties, in my humble opinion, you got to pick Johnny Greenwood from Radiohead. And in the same conversation, you got to pick Graham Coxon. Like he is that good. So, uh, Graham and and Damon kind of get a lot of the attention, but, um, Alex, the bass player. And, you know, as we talk about this, uh, record here, um, Alex, uh, what's Alex's last name? Alex Smith. Um, Oh, Alex, Alex James. Alex James. I think it's Alex James. Yeah. Um, yeah. Alex's bass um are, are pretty incredible the way he plays off of Graham, especially because Graham is doing oftentimes on this record, especially a lot of like noodly stuff. So the bass was really got to um, fill in a lot of, uh, you know, uh, space because the guitar is kind of all over the place. Um, so Alex is, is, is pretty special. Um, I actually sort of bumped into Alex one time. I went to see Blur in Philadelphia and I decided to skip the opener and I was shopping across the street from the venue and Alex was in the, the store there. Um, but I didn't have the nerve to go up to him, which is probably good because I probably would have said, Hey, Mr. Smith. And he would have been like, I'm Alex James. And that would have been really embarrassing. <laughs> so <laughs> works out. Um, but uh, yeah. Alex is obviously, you know, he, he's, he's a pretty accomplished musician. And then um, Dave Roundtree, the drummer, Likewise, I think Dave doesn't get a lot of credit, um, but he is this just sort of solid force in the background. And, you know, one of the things about Blur is that I think that they, um, especially in contrast to Oasis, who they inevitably get compared to, is that those four guys, I mean, that was a pretty stable relationship and it was the four of them and they cranked out a lot of records really quickly. Whereas Oasis kind of, especially because of the Gallagher brothers, but also some of the other personnel, they, they struggled to keep the band together and mm-hmm. there was all these sort of different waves of you know, guitar players and, and bass players and that sort of thing. So Dave deserves a lot of credit for holding yeah, it down, I think, you know? Yeah, you mentioned Oasis just really briefly. I'm thinking about Andy Paul's role uh, with Oasis. I don't know if he uh, lasted after or, you know, was a part of the group uh, post What's the Story Morning Glory. So, yeah, just yeah, just wanted to echo that point, you know, that you made that, yeah, Oasis was going through some changes and, and whatnot and their sound kind of, you know became adjusted you know huge seminal record from from the same year 1995 which is this was a big year for Britpop. i i think this record of great escape and what's a story morning glory were released i i want to say two or three weeks two to three weeks separation between yeah the two. it's nuts to think and it, it is really you know as much as i hate to make a discussion of blur also about oasis it is kind of like it's impossible i think for anybody outside of those bands to like to, to separate right. the two because so much of um, the story of the record is this sort of like uh, they're kind of like, it's this unique situation where they're both pretty successful already. And they're both making anticipated follow-ups and they're competing with one another. And I can't think of too many times where something like that's happened other than maybe like the Beatles and the Stones, you know, 
Um, so that's a, that's a pretty kind of dramatic thing. And to get two really awesome records out of it is, is also, I mean, it's a great thing for us, but it's just a fantastic story to, to interweave all that drama with the, these great songs. You know? Most definitely. Can you describe for our listeners, uh, you may have alluded to this, you know, a couple of minutes ago, where you were when you first heard a great escape. Well, so I remember distinctly, like I, I put my, uh, uh, my little like mini Walkman single CD player thing on and I was lying on my bed and I had the headphones on. It was the, the first track. I was like, all right, this is pretty cool. Second track. I was kind of iffy. The third track, um, best days, which, you know, I have, I have a lot to say about that one, but, um, but one of the things that really stood out to me that very first time I listened to it is it has this beautiful guitar part. It's just this nice descending guitar line and the way it's panned in, in stereo you know, it starts out in one speaker and kind of winds its way over to the other side. And it was just this beautiful, like poignant moment in, in a, in a really beautiful and poignant song, but like this, the stereo experience of it really like brought me into the song. Um, and so, uh, it's a pretty special memory. Like, uh, you know, I, I've listened to a lot of records and I don't remember where I was when I heard them or how I felt other than to say, I, I know I like this one or I don't like that one, but uh, that was really a moment like in time that I can, you know, that was 20 something years ago and I can access it just like it was yesterday. Right. We are talking with Andy Canadian here from Canadian Invasion on cover to cover with Matt Tarkin. Andy, this feels like a, a good segue here to talk about uh, your favorite tracks on this album. Uh, what would you like well, to start you know, with? This is a funny record because it's got, I think, some of their best tracks ever. And it's also got some of their worst tracks ever. Um, and part of that goes back to what we were talking about, you know, there, when this record was being made, they're in the midst of this kind of battle with the basis to kind of, you know, conquer England and the world. And, and, uh, and the thing too, is that back then there was this approach to, you know, the way that the labels, uh, managed their bands, there was this expectation that you'd put a record out pretty much every year. Um, and so I think modern life is rubbish is like 92 Park Life is 94, and then here we get The Great Escape in 95. And all of those records, you know, they're not nine-song or ten-song records. They're all 13, 14, 15-song records, um, which... Yeah, it's like a super, right? super And that's the thing. It just it, it seems unheard of, you know, nowadays. I you know, All the time you see musicians put out nine-song full-length albums, and, and we accept that. But, um, but then, I mean, it was really... And there was this... You know, in addition to, to cranking out the records, th there was this phenomenon in England where they still had a singles chart, which was like a holdover from the era of vinyl, which is funny because now we're in the era of vinyl again. But um, but back then, yes. uh, yeah. what they do is, uh, you know, so the record would come out and then you'd release singles from the record and they put out these CD singles and they would uh, create all these tricks to to rack up sales for the CD singles so that you could uh, place in the singles chart. And one of the tricks is they would do say like, uh, you know, for instance, the first single off this record was country house. So they'll do two CD releases of country house. Um, CD one has country house and a bunch of B sides. And then CD two has country house and a bunch of other B sides. And the byproduct of that is that for these bands, I mean, they had to be in the studio just cranking out material, you know, 15 songs for the full length and maybe another 10 for B-sides for the three singles. So unfortunately, the byproduct of that is you get some clunkers. Um, 
hopefully they're mostly the b-sides that are clunkers mm-hmm. but there are a couple on this great escape record where i'm just like oh this is <laughs> toward the end of the record i'm like oh I, there's three or four songs where like i would just i i don't know that i've ever listened to them all the way through um this is a band i love um but uh on, on the good side yeah. like you know it's a record that starts off super powerful um and like the first five songs it's, it's a fantastic run um which is something to say because i mean that's a pretty good run if you can hook somebody in for five solid songs of like non-stop kind of goodness the the first track Absolutely. on stereotypes is just it's super awesome because it just hits you in the gut like right out of the gate you know there's this huge guitar riff um and when the bass comes in the bass is this like serpentine thing the kind of playing underneath the guitar so there's this cool counterpoint between the two of them and then songwriting wise like there's there's just some great you know uh great arrangement features, you know, in terms of, uh, you know, the verse going into an interesting pre-chorus going into an interesting kind of like two part chorus. It, it just really like a, it feels like they're running, you're clicking on all cylinders, right? The guitar is great. The bass is great. The drumming's interesting. The songwriting's awesome. Um, and lyrically, you know, it's not like the most profound song, but it sets out in a lot of ways, it sets out like the themes of the record, you know, it's very much, a record that seems to be about people who are like looking, you know, it's, I think all the guys in the band were in their late twenties when they were putting this record out and they kind of, I think a lot of them saw 30 as this, like the beginning of the end, you know, but it, it like, yeah, yeah. It, it is the theme that haunts like every single one of these songs practically is that like, what is it going to be like when we're not young anymore? Um, are we going to lose our edge? What are we going to do? And so, you know, stereotypes is this fun riff on this like couple they're um you know they're presumably older and they own this little b and b in the countryside um and they're they're on the side they're swingers um <laughs> so yeah you know and the idea is that like you know they've lost their edge and they're trying to find some way to be hip and this is what they've come up with and you know god forbid we turn out that way you know um and it's fun and and you know it's 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 lighthearted enough that you don't feel bad that I, I think nowadays we'd probably call that like kink shaming or something, but, um, <laughs> you know, it was a different time. Um, there's, there's a line in the pre-chorus that jumped out. I mean, the neighbors may be staring, but they're yeah, just past caring. Great. I mean, they, they really, you know, Damon has a real knack there, I think. And, and across a lot of the songs on the record of like, um, you know, undercutting, like, I mean, that's such a great line, right? Cause it's like, you think you're being so dangerous. Look, you got all the neighbors paying attention. They don't really care that much. They don't really care. <laughs> they're watching them. They're watching yeah. a movie. They're, they're getting ready for bed. <laughs> they're not, they're not, you know, in their house with a telescope yeah. or something like that, you know, <laughs> checking, checking out, you know, whatever sort of uh, lascivious behavior might be yeah, happening. It's really great. Summer. And I mean, and he does it so economically, like, like you said, like a line like that does so much. Um, and that, that's, you know, that's really a pretty, pretty excellent songwriting and myself as a songwriter, like I aspire to you know, lines like that are hard to come by. Um, I think people don't appreciate maybe how in pop music, you know, it, it's so succinct that you have to, you know, every line has to kind of cut to something powerful um, and, and finding the right words and the economy, you know, of words to do that. So uh, I'm glad you picked up on that lyric. That's a great one. Yeah. 
<laughs> we're, t- we're, t- we're talking to Andy Canadian here on Cover to Cover with Matt Tarkin. Uh, we've uh, just been uh, discussing stereotypes, which is the first track uh, on Blur's Escape. And uh, Andy, you mentioned Country House a little bit earlier. There are lots of interesting characters. There are, uh, there, there are authors. There are There is medicine that is discussed in this track. Um, this was a, this was yeah, released this as a single, correct? You know, this is the song I think that for your listeners who want to check this record out, this might be the song where they decide, okay, I'm going in, or uh, no, thank you, you know. Uh, and it's funny because this was the first yeah. single off the record, um, you know. So there's this big battle between Oasis and Blur, and the first single for the record comes out. You know, for the kind of the cadence they had back then was you put the first single out. I think like maybe a month before the record would be released. Um, and so even before the record is done, before people mm-hmm. have heard anything, this is the first thing that comes out. And this song went up against, uh, what was that song? Roll With It from, uh, which is, you know, if you know that, oh, what's yeah. the story of Morning Glory record, Roll With It is like, it's not even in the top half, I think, in terms of the best tracks on that record. It's also track two, which is kind of funny how they stack that yeah, up, you know, compared it, with Country House. I, I wonder there whether they were kind of, yeah. yeah, like, you know, whether they had spies in each other's studios. It's like, well, they're putting it in track two, so we're putting it in track two. But uh, Roll With It is not, a you know, to me, and I, I love Oasis, but it's not a song I think of really ever in terms of, like, my appreciation of that band. Like, yeah. There's, there's a subtle nod in verse two where they appear to mention morning glory he's got morning glory and life's a different story so it's it's an interesting turn of phrase there i don't know if that was accidental or not but based on the the rivalry i'm sure it was either a, a that's nod the thing or a, so a I, I think the there's face. no way it couldn't be a, you know a reference like you know i mean i think it's meant to be you know it, there's meant to be the pretext that it's like you know like what's morning glory some kind of like you know uh herb or something like that um but I, I, yeah, I definitely think it's yeah. meant to be, you know, some kind of veiled shot, which is, which is really cool. You know, I mean, that's a, it's a pretty neat thing. Um, yeah, but as yeah. a track yeah. and, and here we're talking about country house, um, it's, it's good, but I think it's the beginning of, you begin to see some of the issues with this record where when it goes off the rails, you can kind of see the beginnings of it with country house. I think stereotypes is awesome. You know, it's, it's hard to dispute that it's just a great track. But here, like, you know, so you got the same theme as stereotypes. Like, what if I lose my edge? You know, what if I end up like middle-aged person, I move out to the country because I can't hack it in the city anymore. And I'm taking herbal supplements and crying myself to sleep, and, you know, <laughs> which I mean, you know, I understand the fear of that, but it's just sort of like to make fun of somebody for that, which is kind of, you know, the tone of the song feels like, I don't know, it, it's not done you know, generously or like humorously, it just seems kind of almost like mean spirited. Yeah. Watching afternoon reruns, you know, um, you've got this big house, you're blaming all of your issues on whatever might be happening in, in the century that you're a part of. It's, 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 it's it's like these characters have absolutely zero control. of. Yeah. And yet like in this song, there's no way for us to empathize with that person, you know? Um, And so I'm kind of, Often with this track, I'm left with the feeling of like it's pretty empty for all the great like melodic stuff and all the great guitar stuff happening in it. 
I don't connect with the character at all. Um, they're not likable and there's no way to kind of empathize with their, their problems or their vulnerabilities. Um, and that is a thing that keeps happening on this record. Um, you know, and they find the balance on a lot of tracks. I mean, I guess stereotypes is kind of doing the same thing as it's, you know, it's look, look at the people who've kind of, you know, lost their edge or so to speak and, and are, you know, trying to be young or, you know, trying to find meaning in some way that, you know, a lot of people might find ridiculous, but, but I think it's just done more artfully. Like you said, like the lyrics, they're a little bit more fun and, you know, a little bit more just kind of, they're not acidic, you know, it's more sort of like, uh, oh, you're not that important, you know, that sort of thing. Um, but, you know, the, with Country House, I think part of the issue might've been that, you know, there's a lot of rumors that that was also meant to be a jab at their old label boss. You know, their label had just been sold um, and they had had some issues with their label, like, like a lot of bands do. Um, but um, their label boss had subsequently mm-hmm. moved out of London and, and bought a place in the country. And so that makes me like it even less, to be honest. Um, Cause now I feel like, okay, it's just a personal attack against somebody <laughs> who, you know, in the scheme of things, they might've had issues with, but you know, he supported their music, he, all sort of stuff. So I don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Helped, helped, helped book shows, helped promote previous records that are, you know, that became a part yeah, of this. And, and I think, uh, you know, as, as great as Blur are and as great a talent as, as, as those guys have, especially Damon and his songwriting, you know, if you listen to those early Blur records, I think, you know, when you hear about the battles with the labels, you, you understand why that it's, they often will do things where you go, oh, that's a, that's a cool song, but it uh, just took a turn there. We're like, that's that's not going to work on the radio, you know? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Put together some sort of a radio edit, you know, in, in the studio, maybe chop off that, uh, you know, minute and a half or two minute, <laughs> you know, extended guitar solo at the end or something like that. Or yeah, or just pure unadulterated noise that makes sense at the time in the studio. I, I don't know. Some, some, some bands want to keep that, that extended jam at times, but yeah, totally understand, you know, the, the, the idea and the importance to, uh, have some sort of uh, a digestible, digestible yeah, track and, and for the radio like, in terms and of And you time. see it on this record too, is that there are times when I think like, especially Damon's lyrics are, they're not, it feels like they're cranking records out because, you know, he'll have some songs. I mean, I think stereotypes works great. Like the lyrics are really just like coherent and um, consistent. Um, but there are a bunch of other tracks later on in the record, especially where, you know, you get these sort of slivers of like an interesting idea. And then the next lyric almost feels like a non sequitur, um, which I, I mean, I sympathize if you, if you got to record 15 songs and then mm-hmm. another 10 for B-sides and all, you know, it's hard to, hard to do that. But I think that's something where like, then you go to market that music and it's the lyrics, you know, don't hold together. That's, that's a thing that a lot of, especially radio listeners, like they really connect to the, the lyric uh, content of a song and, Sometimes I think Blur were kind of like, we're going to do this postmodern thing where our lyrics are just like gibberish, you know, and deal with it. Um, yeah. You know, I'm still trying to figure out what the term jacanery or jaconery means. Where he, where, where the char- the main character's talking about how everything's going jaconery. Presumably that's, you know, uh, a slang term for chaos. Am, 
am I on the right track here? Or is that well, something so very specific so it's to very, the, uh, the, it's a very the British record. Blur. Um, and they don't shy away from British references. And I have to admit, like, you know, before we spoke, I went, there were a couple of things. I feel like I know this record pretty well. Um, but there were a couple of things I looked up later on. There's a track, uh, Mr. Robinson's Quango. I've listened to that track for 20 years and never known what a Quango is. Um, and I finally looked it up and it was not anything like what I thought. Yeah. Um, and so that lyric you're referencing there in Country House, I, th- I think that lyric is Jack and Nori. And I don't know what that is either. I oh, assume that's some, Thank you. you know, yeah. I would assume it's like British talk show hosts or some, you know, sitcom or something like that. Um, which in its way, and I think, you know, Blur would, would have said this uh-huh. back in the nineties was bold for them to make records where they were willing to, to talk about stuff like that. I mean, they were put under a lot of pressure to market their music, especially in the United States. You know? um, and uh, in fact, like one of their defining moments as a band was they, uh, their label sent them on this tour of the States. And this was like, you know, the record came out maybe like a year and a half beforehand. Um, and the label's like, no, you got to work the States. You got to keep doing the States. You know, touring the States for a British band back then was difficult to begin with. But if there's a, if it's a year and a half after your last record, nobody cared, you know? Yeah, that, that so, album cycle and promotion is Yeah, yeah. Done. And so they they played a lot of like, you Promote, know, for most shows. Bands, yeah. and they, it was miserable. Um, and, you know, the, the legend goes that that kind of like cemented their vision that, they were not going to ever appeal to the American audience that, you know, this was the time of like grunge and Nirvana and that sort of thing. And that what they could do was do what was like kind of in their hearts, which was, you know, become the next version of the kinks or, you know, mix the kinks and the Beatles and, and the specials together and see what you get. Um, And they did that. So, I mean, you know, I, I got to give them kudos for that. They really, they went for it. Um, But sometimes you get stuff like Jack and Nori where like, I'm like, I don't know. I'm not sure what that is. I don't. And in this case, I don't know that I care enough to actually find out. Um, yeah. You know, cause, cause the song doesn't, I mean, it doesn't feel like it, um, <laughs> it just doesn't feel like it warrants that kind of you know, close examination. But, but the funny thing is, I think they realized that this beginning stereotypes and um, uh, country house is, it is pretty intense. And so it's funny that track three, they dial it back. Um, and track three is the one like this is the first track of theirs where I was like, okay, this is like, I'm sold. I got to listen to this band a lot. Um, yeah, um, this this one is really is really soulful, days, right? which is the thing you know. Yeah. That's not a tone they've hit so far in the record, you know. And um, it, it's this great sort of song about kind of loneliness um, and and being somebody you know. The focus is like on the first verse, there's, you know, these cab drivers who, um, you know, they, they don't enjoy their work and the, there's great lyric, you know, this cabbie dreams of a fair to the sun. Um, you know, it's like, I can imagine that, right? I mean, I've, you've been in those cabs where they're, they're like, they're like, oh, this is going to be great. You need to go where? Like, that's, that's a $50 cab ride. Um, and yet they, you know, it's a great lyric. Like yes. they pick up these people who are coming out of bars and having a good time, but the cabbies are kind of you know, always cut out from that. You know, yet they, you know, they're sort of, it's this sad, like voyeurism. They get to see people having fun, but they don't get to do it. Um, and so it's much more soulful. It's it's much more like empathetic. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are just some, some lyrics in there. Like 
you know, in this, I think it's in the second verse, there's this great lyric, you know, about in hotel cells, listening to dial tones. And I'm like, man, that is like the darkest, loneliest thing I've ever heard. Right. You know, Oh my gosh, that repetitive beep, 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 beep you know what I mean? <laughs> that, that repetitive landline phone. <laughs> so yeah, I, mean, just, I can't imagine where you have to be like at really mentally where pulse. you're like, all right, I'm just going to pick up this phone and listen to that. sound. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, Oh, that's and really that's so dark and depressing. It's cool because it's uh, you know it, it's hitting on the same theme as the first couple songs, sort of like all right, you know, beyond success and beyond all that sort of stuff, like you know, what's what's my life going to mean? You know, where do I find some meaning and some purpose? But it's doing it in this much more like empathetic way. We get some characters that we kind of can root for and and that sort of thing, and that it doesn't hurt. It's just a beautiful song. It's got some great harmonies and a great guitar part and stuff. Yeah, there's also like some really lush or uh, instrumentation. There's a there's some hints of an orchestra in the background, and uh, somehow it's also I, I, I got the sense there's like some you know there's a little bit of syncopation going on with that orchestra, which is just a really nice. I thought it was a really cool contrast for some reason, and one of the characters is you know somehow he you know he or she is uh, <laughs> like likes to get disconnected sleepwalking you know back home back home now is now is are they are they sleepwalking in a dream while they're driving the cab that's that that could be debatable but it it, there is this constant sort of back and forth of whether you're awake whether you're just completely asleep and this is just uh you know possibly some sort of recurring nightmare of doing (laughs) the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result, maybe some kind of defi- definition of sleepwalking insanity. I don't know. I'm kind of spitballing here, but there's the, the person just, you know. Yeah, and is, that's the thing. Is it, it really, you know, it, lost it captures that somehow. feeling of disconnection so vividly that, um, you know, I, I think it's lyrically and musically, it's just, it's a really interesting track, you know. And um, if, if the rest of the record were like that, um, you know, I think we would hold this up as like their best record and a classic. Um, and there are still moments to come like that, but you know, I think it's a record that's going to, for sure, you know, vacillate between these sort of like empathetic, heartfelt songs and and some of the stuff that we saw in the first two tracks, which can be entertaining at times, but is more this sort of like let's make fun of people who don't, you know, can't find any meaning in life. Um, yes. That this feels like a really kind of cool segue from the best days to Charmless Man. And Charmless Man at least gave me the impression of the person who was who was uh, 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 kind of being uh, exposed to other people having a good time now is trying to have a good time for themselves and find themselves yeah, kind of. Yeah, you know, this, this track's like, um, it definitely fits that mold away. of the first two tracks of like, uh, you know, let's kind of poke fun examine somebody who doesn't get it who you know can't kind of find a meaning um and i think at this point i as a listener i'd probably be getting kind of tired of that approach but the track is just you know the music and particularly the guitar playing in this track is is just incredible like this guitar lick in charmless man is is this like guitar hero moment for graham coxon um and you combine that with some of the cool like harmonies and the na 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 stuff in the chorus, and you can forgive a lot <laughs> in terms of what's happening in the song. Um, 
but yeah, I think you're right on that. It's <laughs> sort of, you know, it's about this person who's yeah. kind of, you know, they're late to the party. Um, you know, I, lyrically there's all this stuff about, you know, somebody who's kind of like rich and well-connected and they try to use those things to impress people, but it doesn't seem to, doesn't seem to do much. Um, and I, you know, I, that's an interesting idea, but like, I don't know where you go with that. Um, I feel, I feel like there's some sort of a connection between charmless man and stereotypes. You know, there's that mention of knowing the swingers in the cabaret. Could they be the same people? Could this person in the bar yeah, potentially wonder, be you know, um, a neighbor? And I, I think that's a great a different neighbor. Um, observation because, you know, uh, it's funny how we, you know, we talk about people in the city who are like, and we don't really use this word anymore, but, but if you're like a hip city person does cool stuff, you're like a swinger. Right. Um, and yet you have in stereotypes, you have now what we're more accustomed to calling, you know, a yeah, swinger nowadays. Yeah. And so there's a, this kind of neat irony. Maybe they're one in the same, or maybe we're seeing them at different times. Like, you know, here's the people mm-hmm. they were swinging hip people in the city, but when they got tired of that or, you know, weren't able to keep up because of the demands of, drinking a lot and taking a lot of drugs that seem to go along with that. Um, at least in these blur songs, um, that they become literal swingers out in the you know, countryside to try to capture some yeah. of that excitement um, for them. Um, so yeah, it is, it is kind of neat how those, the songs exist in this sort of, it, I mean, they really do feel like of a piece, you know, and this part of the record feels like it's, it is a unified thing. Um, and so that's, that is really fun. Um, and, and really, especially for the kind of thing we're doing right now in terms of like looking for some patterns in it. Um, but I could see where people might listen to this track and, and this might be another kind of country house moment for them where they go, oh, what do you, you know, what, what's the point of all this? Like, sounds good, but you know, where are we going? Like, yes. Well, there's a drastic move that, um, that we kind of, you know, move along with. And the next track is called fade away. And, the, yeah, the two words yeah. that came to my mind, Andy, were melancholic ska. You know, there are these sad, these like sad trumpets. Um, you know, we're we're, we're 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 still in that downtrodden, you know, kind of life with with these characters that are trying to dig their way out of you know whatever is whatever is bringing them down or keeping them down in the dumps. But yeah, this was just kind of an interesting little turn by having this little Scott influence, you so, know, you know, this is a, this is a really neat track with the record. Um, well, you know, like you, you said, like I think lyrically and thematically it's, it's right up the alley. And in some ways we're probably getting a little tired of like, you know, depressed people who can't find any meaning in life. Um, but the song is redeemed by this really cool ska approach you know, they were um, really heavily interested in uh, this British band, The Specials. You know, I think a lot of people know them for, um, oh, what's that song? Um, a Message to You, Rudy, and uh, Ghost Town. And they were they were super cool. And, and they did, I wouldn't oh, say yeah. they did melancholy. Well, they kind of did. Some of their tunes, definitely. Uh, there's that great one. I go, uh, I go out Friday night and I come home Saturday morning and it's got this kind of melancholy element to it um and this definitely seems like it's that although i would say like it's that specials approach but on steroids like there's a really aggressive kind of uh bass and guitar riff in it um that uh musically it's really really interesting um whereas i think lyrically it's you know it's not bad it's just 
a lot more of the same. Um, it's a little bit, <laughs> yeah, I do. There's a lot of idle, idle time that exists in these lyrics. If that make if that if that makes sense, you know, there's they, they should have called this album First World Problems." Stagnant. I, I think that would have been stagnant. a perfect title for it. Um, and definitely, like you know, uh, if people see the cover art, <laughs> it would go nicely with the cover art because you know, there's there's this great picture of uh, somebody diving in in the ocean. They're diving off this nice little boat, um, and it looks like it would be like a you know a magazine promotion for like a really expensive Swiss watch or something, you know. Um, yeah, yes, it definitely, it is yeah, like lifestyles of the rich and famous, Robin Leach. The album. Um, but mercifully, like the, the arrangement here is just so good. Um, and, and the way they massage the song in terms of like, uh, there's some neat, I wouldn't exactly maybe call them pre-choruses, but like, sort of like these little sort of interrupting like variations before they'll go back into a chorus. And, you know, in terms of the arrangement, it's, it's really pretty clever. So I've, I've been finding that I like that track a lot more than I ever realized. Um, but, um, but it is, I think lyrically, like we're, you know, we're still mining the same, the same road there. Mm-hmm. We are talking with Andy Canadian here from Canadian Invasion on cover to cover with Matt Tarkas, specifically about uh, Blur's fourth record, The Great Escape. And uh, we've covered a lot of ground here. The next track we have is called Top Man. And for Top Man, I wrote one word, uh, crap. <laughs> it's, um, I, I hate this track. You know, it feels like lyrically we're in the same place. Yeah. Um, but it, it's trying to be this uh, pastiche of, I, I don't even know what. Um, it's got these strange sort of quasi-Arabian sounding things going on. Um, I, I just don't get this track. Um, and <laughs> yeah, I, I didn't you have my permission not to be generous to be, with that track know, it's generous just, with yeah, it <laughs> i don't i mean i love that band i yeah i don't get that track and, and maybe somebody out there will be like hey you know there's some really cool references or, or such and such but it just doesn't work for me um if, you know it, it the the instrumentation feels inauthentic um the lyrics are more the same and, and in some ways i think even less authentic versions of what they've been doing throughout the record so it's just, yeah, I, I tried to re-listen to that track. I can't get through it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, really great. And the next one, <laughs> the, the universal might be the best track on the whole record. Um, so it's a shame to lay an egg right before the best track, you know, and, uh, and scare everybody off. But, um, yeah. yeah. But yeah, the universal, that, that to me, I mean, that's a special track. I think that, and they recognize that too. I think it's one of their, you know, top five songs maybe ever one thing that that uh that stuck out for me was there's this reoccurring line it's kind of part of the chorus yes it really 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 could happen i wonder if that's a bit of a nod to travis's track driftwood where they sing did you really really think it could happen or is that just just kind of an accidental, just sort of lyrical moment there where you happen to have two bands from the UK that were, you know, trying to, you know, tr- trying to articulate a certain theme within the constructs of a song. That just, that really struck me. I, I mean, Driftwood is a really strong song by that band. Yeah, you know, it, you know it's worth, it, I think, taking you know, a moment and just like, taking stock of that. So you got Blur and Oasis working at the same time. You've got Travis just kind of getting going. I think that 
that record came out shortly after this, maybe. I, I don't, my timeline's a little bit fuzzy, but you've got, you got Pulp doing their thing. I think so, yeah. 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 The so, man I mean, that's who, a great was record. That, was that called the Pulp man doing who? doing their thing. That uh, Suede yeah. was, yeah. you know, had a couple records that were really pretty, pretty interesting. Um, and then you got some other kind of bands, Supergrass and, and, and a few others that, uh, oh, the Verve. I mean, it's, it's worth mentioning them. I mean, it was an inc- it was a crazy flourishing of these like rock yeah, guitar bands. No that question. I don't know that we've ever seen like that cluster of that kind of music since then. You know, no way. And it, and I think it forces people to really ramp up their game. I mean, you, people talk about that. You know, that it's now kind of a cliche between the Beatles and the Stones, but Lennon and McCartney certainly probably felt like they needed to be on top of the charts. You know, while Mick Jagger and Keith Richards were writing their next, you know, great smash hit. You know what I mean? Like, there's just this sort of like people pushing each yeah, other. There, it, it seems was, like uh, you know, for all those bands, there was this optimism, like you know, we've got the ear, ear of the world and like, let's make it count, you know? And that's, that's pretty cool. Cause uh, I mean, most of the great records and not all of them, certainly, but most of them are, are bands who are like, we're just going to do this. Cause what the heck, you know, um, they don't oftentimes like it's breakout records that we focus on. And those bands, you know, they're like, it's a long shot, but we're going for it. And much more rare is the band like Blur or Oasis, like in the situation where they're like, we're popular, we're getting more popular, um, and here's our moment. And there's this other band like down the street, basically, you know, who's doing good stuff. We better, we better top them. Um, it's it just blows my mind. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's so much. It's it's fun. This these moments are really fun. Like which which is which is the next you yeah. know lead single off of this record, and you know just that yeah, was just such such a great time for music just such a great scene too you know following oh, universal we have this track uh, you know what um, uh, you mentioned earlier this is another one Mr. of those robinson's ones. Quango. Uh, it's not quite top man level crap to me but oh uh, man i don't like this one um and I, i've never been able to put my finger on why i don't like it um <laughs> and it, it just occurred to me so you know I think probably for most listeners who are interested in this record, you know, maybe they've had, uh, maybe they've uh, heard Park Life, which is the record that precedes this, which was kind of their Blur's breakout record. Um, and the more I listen to Mr. Robinson's Quango, the more I realize it's a rehash of a Park Life track. <laughs> um, your track two on Park Life is this great song, Tracy Jacks. And, you know, it's this guy, he kind of, you know, something, he's just sort of a normal work a day kind of guy and something goes wrong and he drives down to the seashore and he takes off his clothes and runs out into the ocean and the police arrest him. And he's like, it's okay. You know, um, and it's, you relate to him, like, you know, and, and you want to give him a hug, even though you're a little bit disturbed maybe he's running around naked. Um, and this song feels like it's, it's that kind of thing. Again, it's this meltdown of a mm-hmm. guy who's like a civil servant. But the meltdown is, uh, it's ugly, you know, he's calling his secretary in and, you know, pinching her ass and it, it's, it's, it's just unpleasant, you know, and, and it feels like the kind of thing where, um, mm-hmm. you know, you can make fun of something unpleasant, but like, it doesn't make it more pleasant. Um, and we've done so much of that on this record that this feels like overkill to me. Um, so this is another track mm-hmm. where. Musically, it's really interesting. You get kind of 
I wouldn't call it ska necessarily, but it's it's kind of bordering on that. The interplay between the bass and the guitar is really interesting. Um, and there's some great Graham Coxon has these great like James Bond guitar lines um, in the middle of the song that are they're really pretty cool. But um, but yeah, it just feels kind of a soulless like rehash. It's just not not a topic worthy of 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 a song. Um, well, so this is. Where this record, like, um, thought of cars, you know, when you sequence the record, I think you have to be thinking about the the experience of the listener. You know, even if you're you've got a bunch of great tracks, you got to think about the variety and kind of you know, it's almost like a set list, like for a live band. And this is this is a great palate cleanser, I think, in a lot of ways. It's a it it slows things down. Um, Graham Coxon's guitar here is really cool. It's all this sort of like modulated and, and tremolo guitar. Um, it really feels like it could be a, a James Bond theme song, um, but without some of the bombast, or, or I should say, with the bombast like dialed back a good bit. There's still some bombast, definitely. But but where this song doesn't do it for me is that the lyrics. Um, you know, we've got a lot of tracks on this record where the lyrics. They're really cogent, you know. Here's here's this person, and here's what's wrong with them. Here's what they do that's worthy of scorn. Um, but on this track, Damon takes this approach that's kind of like I would call it like maybe impressionistic, but it just sort of seems a little random to me. Um, and I'm willing to go with that most of the time because the track is so sumptuous and interesting uh, musically, but. I feel like the lyrics hold it back from being like a classic. Like this could have been one of those tracks on this record that people say, oh, that's a, that is a special, special track. And instead it's kind of one of those, like, I think it's a deep cut for fans that they'll really dig, but, but it's not maybe there, you know, it's not an iconic Blur song by any stretch. Gotcha. After we have, he thought of cars, we have, it could be you. You know, it's a shame. This is another one where I feel like, it could this, be you. This song, Is there anything that you know, so stands out for you? I, I was saying earlier, Graham Cox in guitar-wise, like top five guitar players of the 90s, top three probably, actually. Um, and this track especially, like the, the riff is phenomenal. The guitar tone, like mm-hmm. I've spent hours in studios trying to get guitar tones, you know, and, and this guitar tone is so good. I mean, and uh, and and – lyrically or i'm sorry melodically the song is really interesting it's got some great hooks the chorus especially but lyrically it just doesn't hold together um and i i kind of wonder so they released this song as a single in japan nowhere else but japan and i sort of wonder if that they recognize that like lyrically it doesn't work very well but (laughs) if you're hearing it you don't know the language you, you know the hooks are fantastic um you know, so it's it's a track that it feels like a missed opportunity. It it could be you know really a classic Blur track, I think, um, if if the lyrics kind of just and there's some good stuff in the lyrics, but it just it sort of feels like one verse is about one thing and the next verse is about something else entirely. And under the circumstances, I get it because you know when you're cranking out that many songs that quickly, but um, it's just a shame because it is such a good track otherwise. Right. Right. From It Could Be You, we have a song called Ernald Same. And this song kind of, for some reason, lost me a little bit. But, you know, 
What do you think? Do you think this song holds up in the canon of Blur songs, or is this <laughs> a song that you know might also be one that you you might prefer to skip? You know, it's it's funny nowadays with like digital music. You you really have to wonder like, what if somebody this is the the first song of mine that they ever hear? You know, yes. um, and I I think if Blur had this one to do over, they there would be no Arnold Sam on this record. Um, for that reason. Um, this was the first song of theirs you heard. You'd never listen to them again. Um, it, it's just, you know, it's meant to be this silly kind of throwaway thing. Um, and they, they do this on a lot of the records. They'll have these sort of like, um, especially they'll use organ for this a lot, these sort of like cheesy organ riffs. Um, they'll have the instrumentals or they'll, they'll have people kind of do goofy stuff over that. Um, in a lot of ways, I think this track is actually a rehash of one of the hits from the last record, um, so the Park Life record um, has a track called Park Life that has uh, Phil Daniels, the actor. He's a famous British actor. He was in the Quadrophenia movie. Um, mm-hmm. He does this whole spoken word thing over top of it, and it works. It's really good. And they even put it out as a single, and somehow that was successful. Um, and it's a good track, you know. Yeah. But here, here it's just like, you know, it's the story of somebody who's, you can tell by the name, like, they're boring. And everything is the same all the time. It's like a Dr. Seuss story or something. But the narrator sounds like he's asleep or he's, you know, had 10 gallons of NyQuil. Um, <laughs> right. <laughs> Perhaps out in the country. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, we don't, considering the themes of this record and the, you know, how we've been down that road a lot. We we don't need this track at all, in my yeah. opinion. And this is the beginning of actually like a, a three song sequence where if I were the producer on this record, I would say just get rid of these three tracks. Um they don't they don't move the record forward and they stall the record in a lot of ways. Um, what do you think about Globe again? Do you think that this kind of, you know, sort of recenters the record in any way, shape or form? What uh, what do you think about the instrumentation of this track? Well, it's funny you say that because I think that's what they're trying to do. I think you know, that was probably the conversation. It's like, okay, this is this jaunty thing that will kind of, you know, they're at their strength a lot of times when they get into this sort of punky kind of mode. But mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. this this song doesn't it just doesn't feel like it goes anywhere. I don't I don't know what it's about. Um, and it certainly. You know, it, it lacks like a lot of the melodic richness of the rest of the record. Um, so this is another one where it comes on. I hear that that intro riff. You know, dun, 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 I'm like, okay, skip. You know, right. <laughs> and it's funny. It's a record I like. You know, but it, yeah. these these couple tracks and and that goes goes for the next one too. Dan Abnormal. Um, mm-hmm. It's just it's just not. It's really it's very amateurish. I mean, I, I hate to say it, like. And I say this with like all love and respect for for these musicians. Like, uh, sure. or there's rec- there's tracks on this record that are phenomenal. Um, but this song just feels like it is kind of this throwaway. It it should have been a B side. Um, maybe they maybe they were contractually obligated to have that you know that 14 song LP, and this was this was one where they thought, okay, we've got a couple of minutes here. Let's you know let's use it. It's it might be filler, but it's, I don't know, it kind of fits with the, you know, the, the context of some of these other, you know, tracks that are on the latter half of the record. 
Who knows? Yeah. Only 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 the band can really answer that question. But yeah, I completely agree with you. The thing about this track too that is like, <laughs> I so I have a, a nine year old daughter, so I I'm I'm getting plugged into the the nine year old lingo nowadays. Um, when, when something is embarrassing, it's cringy. Um, <laughs> and this song, so it's called Dan Abnormal, and somebody realized that Dan Abnormal is an anagram. I think that's what you call it, right? When you mix the letters up to spell something different. Yeah. yeah. It's an anagram for Damon Albarn. Ah. He's the singer, you know? And yeah. I find that so cringy. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Uh, that just, oh my goodness. Like, Yikes. Uh, you know. Yeah, <laughs> and what's what what's especially infuriating is there are good B sides, um, you know, for these, you know, some of these tracks that uh, were released as singles. There are great B sides, not quite, you know, on the level of any of the sort of the A sides, but there are some things that are definitely better than Dan Abnormal. But. How about enter- Entertain Me? Well, this is where the album starts to redeem itself. These last two tracks are awesome. Entertain Me is especially funny to me because I, I wrote myself a note that it's a rehash of their big hit from their previous record. You know, a lot of people yeah. know their song, Girls and Boys. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's got this, you know, kind of Euro disco thing going on. And Entertain Me is, is that again, you know, and yet it feels like the kind of rehash, uh, rehash is not the right word. It's like, um, you know, it's sort of like um, when you revisit something, a couple years later and, and you're doing the same thing, but it's different. Um, this feels like a more mature, maybe more jaded version of mm-hmm. girls and boys. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so I really dig that. It feels like they let loose. It's it's a little bit, um, I don't want to say jammy because they're not like a, a jammy band, but it kind of, you know, there's, there's more sort of instrumental moments between verses and choruses and, there's just some neat kind of, uh, they're willing, they got a good chorus and they're willing to just do it a bunch. Yeah. Um, you know, and there's something to be said for that because so many of these songs are these really tight, you know, succinct kind of things. And here they kind of let loose a little bit. And I really enjoy that. I wonder if this was their answer in some respects. You know, you're you're talking about songs that kind of extend themselves and there's just this, there are these beautiful arrangements. I wonder if, you know, in some way this was their Champagne Supernova in some respects. You know, there's that beautiful outro of that song. And I know our conversation's not about Oasis, but, you know, both bands were comparing their their songs so much that that rivalry was just ever-present in their career. Um, I wonder if this was, this was kind of their take on, you know, doing something that potentially was a little bit more out of their comfort zone. Yeah, I think the comparison's a really good one. Um because, uh, like you said, I mean, Champagne Supernova, you know, it's got all the pieces. You know, it, it's it's a traditional, like, pop rock song. But yet it, it does kind of that sort of extended thing where it's like, you know, we're going to make the solo a little bit longer. You know, we're going to take a little bit longer to get back into the verse. Um, and that does seem to be kind of what they're doing here. And yeah. that's a mode, you know, my favorite ever Blur track is is the it's Toward the End of Park Life. It's this song, This is a Low. Um and it's yeah. the same same kind of mode, you know. It it's still, you know, it's I think maybe it's four minutes long, you know, instead of three minutes twenty seconds. Yeah. But um, but it just feels like there's got a little bit more air in in a good way, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. 
that especially at the end of a record is a really nice thing. It's just kind of, it's got this valedictory quality. Like, you know, we're closing things up here and, but here's this big expansive thing to reward you for this journey, you know? Yeah. This record closes with a tune called Yuko and Hero. And it's, it, it, it's beautiful. It's full of melancholy. There are, I'm sure, plenty of theories on the internet about what it might be about. It, it does sort of have that confessional quality to it where two people want to be together, but because of the, you know, they, they seem confined in, in a lot of respects during the week and they wish they could spend, you know, more time together to, um, to, to grow their relationship. It's, um, this is a pretty heavy track. Yeah. Yeah, and yet it's deceptive because, I mean, it is so beautiful that it's kind of easy to maybe gloss over some of the heaviness. But, you know, you, you step back from some of these lyrics and you, I can't sleep without drinking. And I go, okay, that's that's right. a problem. Yeah. yeah, we drink together. We drink in the evenings. It's Yeah, it's uh, people trying to get through very, you know, very difficult problems through self-medication. And that's... Uh, it it just feels like two characters that are just completely resigned to their own existence. Yeah, and and it's funny because that's kind of, I mean, the whole record is like that, and yet this song, it, it's much more palatable, you know, because it feels like these characters, and I've been trying to put my finger on like what it is songwriting wise that makes this work better than a lot of the other tracks that mine this same territory and yeah. You know, I think, for one, like like you mentioned, like some of these the lyric, you know, there's that great progression in the one verse, you know, it's like, uh, I like a drink in the evening, you know, we drink together, I can't sleep without drinking, like, you go from like, oh, that's cute, you know, they spend time together, oh, you know, <laughs> right, you know, it's, uh, that escalated quickly, right, I mean, um, yeah. it's uh, that sort of turn, uh, the lyrical turn there is like, really I mean, that's pretty cool. You know, it's like almost this misdirection. Um, and so that's, that's something that I can hang my hat on. Um, but I, I think too, that there's just this sort of like sympathy um, for these characters is that they're, they're in this song, they're, they seem like good people, you know, yeah. they, they're devoted to their company and they believe the company will protect them, but they're miserable. Yes. And it, it, it's sort of an interesting, um, if you think about, what working culture is like today, I mean, there, in some cases, there can be lots of different turnover depending on the industry that you're a part of. They These characters seem to have, you know, really just bought into the idea, hook, line, and sinker, that this company will take care of them. And, yeah, they're they're finding out that, you know, their their commitment is somehow o- overshadow, overshadowing their happiness. Yeah, it's a nice, you know, I kind of see this record as almost this sort of buffet. It's like, here are all the things that we turn to in life to try to fill the void, you know. And yeah. in the first song, you've got people who want to try to do sort of, you know, kinky sex stuff. And in song two, it's, you know, we got to go out to the country and, and kind of find some, you know, get away from people. And and you just run through the list. And I, I think left off the list is that a lot of us, especially Americans. I mean, we, we look at work as the thing that makes us, you know, it's, it's yeah. the first question we ask people, what do you do? Not necessarily what, what, what moves you? 
Right. And, and I think one of the, you know, the brilliance of the, there's a lot of neat things going on in the song, but one particularly brilliant thing about it is making it about these two presumably, you know, Japanese workers. I think at first you can say to yourself, like a lot of good sort of like social criticism or satire, oh, that's not about me. You know, that's about, that's about yeah. Japan, you know. Yeah. But, but you can't hold up that fiction for too long. You know, you're, especially, you know, you start to recognize like, oh, well, you know, how much do I look at my job and go, that's the thing that makes me. And how much do I sacrifice the things I say I care about to, to work that job and have a certain status in that job? And, I wonder if this was, um, I mean, the names themselves are, you know, are interesting. Yes, they're Japanese. When I first saw Hero, my immediate thought was, uh, to world history, there was a, a dictator in you know in the World War II era named Hirohito. Oh sure, I'm, yeah, yeah. I'm wondering if this you know this particular song was you know sung you know you know in a way that was uh, reflecting you know perhaps somebody somebody's um, uh, somebody's grandfather's experience or grandmother's experience, one of the two. Yeah, I wonder. I mean, it's kind of for a quintessentially. British record. It ends on this note about Japanese workers, and that is kind of peculiar and makes me think probably, you know, that it could be very likely that there's some sort of like very personal attachment yeah. to that story. Because um, it doesn't, yeah, it just doesn't fit otherwise. I mean, thematically it does, but just sort of, you know, the topic itself seems kind of out of left field. Sure, sure. We are talking uh, with Andy Canadian here from Canadian Invasion on Cover to Cover with Matt Tarka. And, uh, Andy, it's it's very obvious that this album continues to inspire you. Does it um, does it inform, you know, uh, your project, Canadian Invasion, in any way? Or is this sort of, you know, separate from your your creative work that you do with the band? You know, I would say that this, this does pretty – pretty closely inform the work uh, I do with Canadian Invasion. I think my goal in that band um, was to kind of try to do an American answer to this sort of songwriting style and especially this idea of like, I'm really enamored with character songs. And I think, you know, that's, that's something that we've lost in, in rock music. Um, and I really like the sort of the misdirections in this, like, you know, you'll get, especially here on this last track, like, this beautiful, poignant thing, it almost feels like it's, you know, it's about romance and, and you know, wanting to see the person you love, but underneath it is something far more troubling. And Yes. Yeah. And so that's been something I've been trying. I mean, I, I chase that <laughs> with yeah. practically every song I write, you know, it's trying to get that sort of thing. Um, and sometimes so, sometimes I, I'm satisfied, you know, in, in my chase and other times less so. I feel like it's... um. It's a really cool thing, and it's it's missing in a, in a lot of like American sort of like pop rock and roll sort of music. You know, yeah. I think we've got a real emphasis in the United States one being sort of like confessional, um, and 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 that's where we think authenticity lies. And I actually think the kind of the opposite, like taking myself out of the picture, is sometimes where the real authenticity happens. Like what I want to talk about when I'm not talking about myself is probably tells you more about me than anything I'd tell you about me. Um, yeah. yeah. So, uh, yeah, it's been a, it's been a big influence on me. Definitely. Um, but it's telling to me, you know, that they, um, 
I don't want to say they abandoned this style, but this was kind of the end of that approach for them. Um, you know, this record was pretty successful, but the the war with Oasis kind of was ugly, and, and you could argue Oasis, I guess, from the battle, in the sense that you know, Morning Glory was a much bigger record than this, especially in America. Um, mm -hmm. But Blur, you know, the cool thing is that this was like, you know, they kind of retreated, they regrouped, they put out their next record is this very sort of like noisy, punky, kind of borderline pavement type thing that had oddly enough they're like their most successful song i mean i think most most of your listeners will probably know song two you know, with the, the crazy woohoos and the drums mm -hmm. um and uh, even if you don't know blur you are exposed to that song if you go to any arena if you go to a sporting event sometimes that is the interlude music that you might hear for for the, the crowd to get really revved up I think that that song has basically bankrolled like all their subsequent projects. Um, and I'm granted those projects, a lot of them have been successful and they bankroll themselves now, but yeah, I mean, apparently the U S military licensed that song to unveil like a stealth bomber, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> you know, they, and which is cool. Cause it let, you know, it let those guys, I mean, I think gorillas was able to get started because of that and Damon Albarn's done all sorts of cool solo projects and, um, yeah. But it is funny to me that this this record that we've just talked about was kind of, I think it was a low point for them in a lot of ways. You know, it really burnt them out. Um, so I try to think about that when I think about its influence on my own songwriting. It's like, that is a, it's a difficult difficult road to hoe, this sort of fine line that they're trying to hit with their songwriting. And so... Yeah, they want to be creative. They want to talk about different characters. And, you know, there are a lot of... Uh, uh, extraordinary circumstances in the sense that there's this other band right next door that's, you know, it's kind of fighting with them <laughs> in, in Oasis. You know? Yeah, and I mean, they they tell stories about how, you know, they'd, they'd be out walking around and, you know, somebody liked Oasis, they'd come up and be like, you know, screw you guys, I like Oasis, you know, Liam's better. Um, <laughs> I can't even imagine, right? You know, it's, it, no. it's weird enough to be famous enough that people are coming up to you and then, then to have them come up and be like, ah, this other band, uh, you know, she came sort of like, like a sporting contest or some political thing or whatever. Yeah. We are talking with uh, Andy Canadian of Canadian Invasion here. And uh, we've been discussing at length uh, Blur's fourth record, The Great Escape. And uh, Andy, you know, last but not least, I like to ask this question of anybody uh, who comes on the program, and it's specific to cover art. Um, as, as you know, we, we live in this, you know, wild west, so to speak, of the 21st century, uh, where it seems like anything goes. You can listen to, you, know, you can listen to music however you want. Information is quickly accessed in the palm of our hand, or uh, you know, potentially with a click of a few buttons. And you know, no matter what artwork. It's always supporting music in its own way. It remains that cornerstone, whether you're releasing singles, whether you're releasing uh, full-length albums, it makes no difference. Artwork is that supporting idea. And, uh, you know, I'd like to just talk for a couple of minutes about what is conjured up in your mind when you look at this album cover. Um, there's this sense of, you know, some first-world problems. We've, we discussed them at length. Um, what... What do you see visually, you know, that's kind of a neat forerunner into what, you know, uh, listeners of this um, of this program would expect from this record if they're unfamiliar with it? 
Well, you know, the, for one, I should say, I really appreciate that you value cover art because um, it is a dying art. Like, you know, and it's coming back, I think, with, with vinyl. People appreciate that, like, I have this however many inches the vinyl sleeve is. I've got this thing in my house. I want it to look a certain way. Yeah. Um, but it felt like for a couple of years there, like, it was just inconsequential. Um, Blur especially, like, you know, we, you know, as music fans, like, we're, we're picking up on all these cues, I mean, uh, about what a band is like and what they value. And, you know, as much as, for instance, like, I was a pretty big Oasis fan before I listened to this record, you look at Oasis' album covers, and they're like, they're they're just typical band album covers. You know, here's the guys, and one guy's staring off in another direction, and one guy's lying down, and, you mm-hmm. know... Or they do another where it's like they're walking down the street and it's blurry and yes, which is fine. Plenty of good records, plenty of great records, in fact, have covers of that. Yeah, I mean, it's what does that say? Yeah, it to me, it doesn't say very much. But you know, Blur on the other hand are those guys that like they they think about that stuff. You know, the whole package. Um, so you look at this record, The Great Escape, and the cover is it's by this um. Uh, studio, what are they called? Uh, Stylo Rouge. Um, and they've been around since the early 80s. I think they worked on, I think their big project was they did like the Art for the Wall by Pink Floyd. I think that was. Oh, yeah. A, um, a classic cover. Right? And so they, um, they've done, I think, almost all the Blur records. And, and, you know, one of the things that strikes you about Blur before you even put the, the album in the CD player or on the turntable is like, the album cover is meant to send a message, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, and this one in particular, you know, you get this. I think we talked about it earlier. It, it looks almost like this lifestyles of the rich and famous Robin Leach kind of like uh, come, you know, the, this is what the uh, the ocean line off of Malta looks like in the summertime, you know. Yes, yes. And, Everybody and, drinks from a gold chalice. Right. Yeah. You know, it's yeah. like let's let's have uh, pass the gold chalice around, and then we'll go into the beach house, and you know. The servants will bring us more cocktails or whatever. Um, it, it's this sort of first world problems kind of album cover, and that is what the record is about. I mean, I think they pretty accurately captured what they are going for, um, and they do that over and over again on the records for the most part. You know, and so uh, it's really pretty neat. Um, the back cover, and it's funny, a lot of records don't have back covers, right? It's just a track list and whatever, but. Back cover is all the guys from the band, and they're dressed as if they are like all accountants. Hmm. And I have to admit, it, to, to borrow my daughter's phrase, it's it's pretty cringeworthy. Yeah. Um, but in the context of the record, it kind of makes sense. You know, it's it's this idea, right? Like, look at all these different ways we try to like, you know, make meaning in life, and how much do the you know do those things really matter? Um. It takes you back to the country house in some way. You know, when you're talking about, you know, analyst bills, you're talking about these, uh, you know, these downtrodden, disgruntled businessmen that are trying to make sense of the world around them. Yeah, it, and I, I often wonder whether or not, like, it's because, you know, they had had enough success up to this point where, like, I don't think they had a ton of money yet or anything. But they had just enough where they could kind of rub shoulders with important people. 
um, and they're in, you know, in London. And and you know, who who are the big the biggest big wigs in the city? Well, you know, the guys that are running around the stock market, you know, making yeah. scads of cash and business people. And, and definitely, there's this sort of like eye to like, you know, what are those people doing? Like, is that the right way to be making money? Is is it? And, and, and less so about how they're making their money, but more like what's happening to their soul along the way. Um, mm-hmm. at, at times, like we've discussed, at times that works really well on this record, and other times it just feels like, you know, it feels almost juvenile, like, oh, look mm-hmm. at that guy in the suit. He's, he probably doesn't care about anything. He's a sellout, you know. And that was a big deal in the 90s to be called a sellout. Well, I appreciate you saying so, because I, I do think that's something that, um you know, is not, or maybe the language for it is different now, but it doesn't seem to be a thing um, that's so significant to, to young people. Like I remember feeling really strongly like that was the worst thing you possibly could do. Oh my gosh. If you heard your favorite, you know, your favorite band and they had, you know, 20 seconds of, you know, their song, you know, in a car commercial, that was blasphemous for so many music fans. But today that's where people, you know, want their music to be heard or, or discovered in some respects, there's there's nothing wrong with that. Um, it's just a it's just a difference of, I guess, mentality, opinions, you know, today. Um, especially too when you have you know a younger generation that sometimes refers to themselves as a brand. Yeah, it, and it, you know it's funny because this record definitely and and Blur's whole career, I think they played with that idea ironically, you know, in that yeah. like they. They created this image and they would, you know, a lot of their album art and such was like this attempt to sort of be on an ironic take on branding. You know, I think they were in an age when that was still kind of in its nascent phases for, for yeah. bands and music. And, but it was ironic. I mean, and yet, like you said, I mean, yeah, a lot of young people today, that's just how they think of, I'm, I sound like an old man now, but... But that seems to be like, you know, there's, there's, they just don't think about that as that there's any issue with that per se, or it's just kind of the way of the world is that I am a brand and I have a responsibility to myself to kind of get the most out of that that I can. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm studying this, you know, front cover here and, you know, we, we, we've got this beautiful clear blue sky. There are two guys on a boat. There's somebody that's, taking the dive in the water that, you know, might be uh, inferring that going underwater and avoiding the people that you're with is that great escape. I'm also studying the font, too. Uh, not, not you know, the, the band's font so much as the album title, The Great Escape. It's, you've got these block letters kind of italicized, but they're hollowed out. I wonder if, you know, this idea of, of, of escaping, you know, to something greater than where you currently are at that present moment is a figment of one's imagination. If there was, if, if there's some sort of purpose behind the hollowed out, you know, letters and meaning behind the, the name of the record, or am I just as the casual observer of this cover reading into something? No, I, I don't think you're reading into it more than, what's there. I mean, I think that's, you know, one of the things that draws people to this band. And, and for me, you know, once I got into them, it was difficult to look back at Oasis and feel like they were superior. 
um, because this is a band here who like had really good tunes. You know, if you're talking about Blur, like they've got great tunes, and yeah. they, they're thinking about that sort of like symbolic, sophisticated kind of stuff. What does the cover art convey? What does you know? And yeah, I mean, think about this record. Is it's all these sort of escapes, right? If I could just get out of the city, if I could just find something cool to do, if I could just have more money, I'd be okay. And all of it ends up hollow, you know? So it, that's pretty cool to me. And you don't get that all the time. You don't get that often, in my experience, with records. Um, so that's why this one is pretty special to me, even though it's not my favorite record. Um, but there's just... There's so much neat stuff going on with it that I felt like, you know, it's the kind of thing that, that people um, can get a lot out of. Andy Canadian, it has been such a great pleasure to chat with you today. Thank you so much for, you know, coming on the show, talking about Blur. We, you know, we really just, you know, we went in deep <laughs> on this particular record, The Great Escape. Thank you very much. Matt, thanks for having me. It was It was a lot of fun to talk to you, and you got some great insights so it's it's fun to to talk music with somebody who thinks about it deeply and and you know appreciates kind of all the all the context for for these records all right thanks so much to andy canadian of canadian invasion for all you listeners out there thank you so much and please remember to hit that subscribe button on a device in which you listen to your favorite podcast whether it's apple stitcher tune in or google play uh take a moment to tell a friend or family about our show let us know how much you like the show by giving us a good rating. It'll certainly help us appear higher in search results. And feel free to drop us a line at hello at covertocoverconversations.com. Intro and outro music of our podcast is produced by Jarrett Nicolay at Mixtape Studios in Northern Virginia. We hope you discovered some new music, perhaps rekindled your love for an old forgotten song, and shared a good moment with us as we continue to sonically explore a world cover to cover.